Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. This is a time of the year in Israel when people hear and tell personal stories. It's the time of Yom HaShoah, Halakha's Remembrance Day, and Yom HaZikaron, Memorial Day, and then, of course, Yom HaTzmaut, the celebration of Israeli independence. Yom HaShoah, which we commemorated last week, is a day in which many survivors told their stories. The children of survivors told their stories of their parents and grandchildren and so forth. Uh, and this week in Israel, Israel will both celebrate independence. 74 is one year away from a very extraordinary number, 75. We're getting very close to three quarters of a century. Uh, but the day before Yom HaAtzmaut is always a very painful day of Yom HaZikaron, of Israeli families telling their stories of the tremendous price that has been paid by individuals and families in order for Israel to be the country that it is today. And because Israelis focus on those stories, just like we do on Passover, when we tell a story to celebrate our exodus, we don't talk about history, we tell a story. Uh, we've invited Metal Itkis, an Israeli woman uh, who has a personal family story to tell about this, and to learn a little bit about the price that Israel pays for independence through her story, the story of her family, and what they have been through. So first of all, Metal, thank you very, very much for joining the podcast and for being with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Um, so I, you'll tell us in a minute, I know you're born in the States, but we know that you're an Israeli through and through and that uh, English is not your native language. So it's always even all the more challenging to do a podcast in a language that's not your native language. So we appreciate that also. Uh, but why don't we begin simply by having you tell our listeners kind of who you are, uh, before we get to the actual stories that we'll talk about where you live, what you do, where you were born, how you ended up in Dayton, Ohio, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so hi everyone, shalom. As I said, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thank you for inviting me. My name is Meital, which you know already, but actually a lot of people call me either a mate or Itkis, and Itkis is my family name, and many people in Israel and also some in the States knows it due to our family's story. I was born in, um, in 88 in Dayton, Ohio, in the U.S., while my parents were in a, on a mission from the Jewish agency as Shlichim. I am the youngest daughter, and I have two older, two older brothers, uh, and um, one is Barak which is 10 years older than me. And the second brother is Amichai, and he's six years older than me. Today, I am living in Israel, in Tel Aviv. I am married to my husband, Asaf, and I am a mother to my uh, little daughter named Oren, which is the light uh, of our family and of my life. 
And today I'm doing um, many different things. Um, the common ground for everyone, for all the things that I chose to do in my life is um, where I feel that I am meaningful and my connection to Israel to help other people to connect to their Zionist value and to the love of Israel. And this is why I chose to tell my story in a, in a talk, in, a, in an engagement, a speaking engagement named Between Sky and Sea. And the name of my talk is based uh, on my life story. Uh, I, uh, as um, I will tell in a few uh, in this podcast, I am. Uh, I lost my two older brothers while they were ser- serving in the IDF. My brother Barak died when I was nine years old. He was an officer in the Navy. And this is why uh, the sea, part of the between sky and sea. And my bro- second brother, Michai, uh, got killed while serving as a, an F-16 pilot in the Air Force, the Israeli Air Force. And he got killed when I was almost 23. And today I share my story. And my main message is to choose life because I believe that no matter what we're going through, um we always have a choice and uh, what to do from now on because you can turn the wheel back and change the reality and i'm also doing a lot of social things uh, i five years ago i established and uh, i founded with many other good people um Mechina, which is a, a it's a non-profit our main goal is to let to bring youth from all over the social spectrum and we get we help them to get ready for a meaningful service in the army and, and help some of them that their life are not and uh, didn't uh, shine on them to help them to choose life again uh, and uh, to give them a second chance and this is one of the main uh, things that i also do and that's it. I beside of all the dry facts, which I just told, um, I think that the one and the most important thing that I would like love to share about me is that I really love life, although uh, I lost a lot in my life. That only makes us want to hear the story more. So um, tell us the story of your brother's service and your family and so forth. As I said, I was born in a, in Dayton, Ohio, in '88. My parents were there on a on a mission from the Jewish Agency, and those years in Dayton um, really shaped my family uh, and my my family values, the love to Israel, the Zionist value, and also part of Dayton um, is that. In Dayton, I don't know if people know that, is actually where um, it's the birthplace of aviation. It's where my it's where the Wright brothers grew up, which is, uh, as you know, two brothers who simply dreamt of flying and made history and changed our lives of many of us. And in Dayton, there's also um, one of the biggest and most important uh, American Air Force uh, base. And... Back then in Dayton, many Israelis lived in a, in our community, and they helped to. They were working on bringing 
um, the F-16 to Israel. And this whole thing of Dayton and the aviation really went into my, my brother's dream and they were only playing with airplanes and they dreamt of flying and their mutual dream was to become um, pilots in the Israeli Air Force. And when we got back to Israel, um, we moved to, Stav to Stavarbo, which is a, a moshav near, uh, in the Sharon, near Kfar Saba. And we had a really, you know, good time, whole family. And, and my brother Barak, uh, he was 10 years older than me. And, I, and he dreamt of uh, becoming, as I said, an, an F-16 pilot. But uh, due to his eyesight, uh, he was refused because his profile didn't match uh, what you need to have in order to go to the prestigious flight academy. And instead, he chose to enlist the Navy. Barak, uh, unfortunately, I don't remember him from my own um, from my own memories. But every time I I ask people to tell about our relationship and how it, you know we were as like siblings, they always said that uh, we had a really close and uh, very strong relationship. Ever since I was young, my, my Barak was always around me, spoiling me and playing with me. And we had a, a really strong connection. The night when he got killed, uh, basically the trauma of that night, it was a, it happened a room, uh, a door in front of my door in uh, my parents' house. And the, the night, the trauma of that night uh, deleted all of our shared memories. I was nine, almost 10 uh, years old. And, you know, it's a part, it's a kind of that age when you're, your mind is kind of flexible. You, you, you don't, you kind of like, I think it's, it's, it's a survival instinct. So that trauma of that night deleted all of our shared memories. And I kind of feel like I was born on that day. But the night when it happened, I remember my, my brother, Amichai, um, this is like for me, kind of like my first memory. I remember Amichai uh, coming into my room on that night, taking me out of bed. I am like half awake, half asleep. I asked him, Amichai, what's going on? And he holds me and we're both standing in the hallway and staring at a, at a closed door. And from behind the door, we could hear uh, only one thing, which was my dad telling over and over again my brother's name, Barak. And my mom and I went down to the kitchen and called an ambulance. And when the ambulance came, I was sent away to wait at the neighbor's house. And when I was finally allowed to come back home, my house was already full of people, a lot of um, people wearing uniforms. And later that day was Barak's funeral. And all, all of a sudden, we became a bereaved family. And I became a bereaved sister. But what's interesting about that night is, you know how there's a quote of, I don't know if you know this, of Shalom Hanoch uh, saying it's always uh, dark, the darkest before the dawn. So literally on the night when of the funeral, after everyone went home, 
So my dad gathered us all together and set us down on the stairs. And I remember looking at him, uh, asking myself, what could he possibly say? I mean, what words could change anything, this terrible reality? And when he finally spoke, he was kind of like taking a deep breath. And he told us the following thing. He said, look, what we're going as a family is the worst possible thing that could ever happen. And Brack will always be part of us and we will always carry him in our hearts. But at the same breath, he said, but I want us as a family to make a decision is that, and it's that we are going to choose life. My dad said that, asked us that once the Shiva is over, we're going to do anything we can to put our lives back on track. And he said, he said, mom and I are going to go back to our educational work. Amichai, you will return back to high school. And you, and he said, Meitali, you are going back to elementary school. And I must say that I mean, I was in fourth grade then. I was pretty young kid. And that to this very day, every time I think about that moment, I don't remember where my dad got his strength from. But on the other hand, I can also say that through the years looking back, I also know that my dad kind of saved our life because he showed us at the darkest moment that light will come and that the dawn will arrive. Yeah, can you just go back for one second and tell us, I mean, I think most of our listeners probably don't understand what happened to Barak. Okay, so after Barak's death, um, I felt like I was left with a lot of questions. The, the Navy investigation determined that it was a weapon accident, but I must say that to this very day, I feel like I have a lot of question marks, but also through the years and coping with the loss of Barak, I understand today that some questions don't have answers. And also I must say that I think that there is no point in trying to get them because eventually no answers in the world would ever bring back Barak. I will share in last memories or who I was before it all happened. When Barak had killed, Amichai was at the age of 16, which in, in Israel, it's the age when you're starting to get ready to, to the army. But I don't know if the listeners know that, but in Israel, because Amichai was a son of a bereaved family, he had to get my parents' approval, formal signature, in order to go to a combat unit because he wanted to be an F-16 pilot and to go to the flight, to flight academy. And if there's no signature, there is no uh, combat unit and definitely you're not going to the pilot course. And my parents uh, immediately said to Amichai, no. And I must say that honestly, I I understand them. They could not even help the father of their second son um, will be in risk and that they're actually proving it by signing formally on, on a paper but Amichai, he was a very, very special man. And on the other hand, he could not even think of that bereavement and loss will dictate his life. He wanted to fulfill his dream. And he said, 
if you're not signing the form, I will go to the, I will go to court. And it's, I, I want to be as if I'm any other one of my friends. I want to fulfill my dream. Um, it's not fair. It brings a lot of tense to the house. I mean, think about it that only a few months before Barak had killed. And now we're, we are as a family dealing with Amichai's one dream to go to the army to a, to a combat unit. And so my parents, they decided to go with Amichai to uh, a therapy somewhere they can speak in more healthy environment. And eventually after a very long year while they are saying why they want to keep him safe and Amichai said, I want to fulfill my dream, my parents chose to sign the form. While they both knew, my parents and Amichai, they agreed that if Amichai is not uh, actually going to um, finish the course, the agreement was that he will not going to go to any combat unit in, instead. So Amichai was very happy. And a few months later, we, he enlisted the prestigious fight academy, which I don't know if people know that in the States, but it's, it's a course where I think less than 5% are actually graduating it. But with a long and hard work, he, he fulfilled his dream and became an F-16 pilot. And uh, what's interesting about it, and I think it's kind of, it's pretty crazy how the name of the plane that Amichai flew on, the Hebrew name, is Barak. And it's the same, uh, it's the same F-16 that the people, in the, the Israeli people in Dayton, it, this is the one they were working on bringing to Israel. It's an F-16D name. And... And, and yeah, and the name the name of the plane was Barak. And I, I every time I think about it, knowing Amichai flew on a plane named Barak, sitting there in the cockpit, is just crazy. On that time, I must say that our life and my life too were pretty good. And during the years, Amichai signed on a long term service in the Israel in the Air Force. He um, performed all his missions seriously. He met through these years an amazing woman and they were about to get married. And my family and I kind of felt we are, you know, we, it, was, it, it was a really good time for us. We all started getting ready to the, for the wedding. I enlisted to the army myself. I had a really meaningful service. I got out of the army. I was traveling like a lot of Israelis doing in the, the world. And when I came back, you know, we were all of us, we were together. Amichai, as part of his service, went to his uh, formal uh, BA studies. He was more home. We had more time to spend together. Uh, finally, I have uh, time with my brother and, uh, you know, catching up on a coffee or going out in Tel Aviv for like a, a wine or a drink. And those months, I must say, they were the best months my family and I ever knew. And we even at some point considered ourselves as like a whole family and not, a, how would they say, not a family with a whole. Uh, but unfortunately, this feeling uh, didn't last for long. During a, a random night, 
while I was with Amichai's fiance, uh, getting ready for the wedding, doing a girls' night, uh, talking about, you know, normal things girls talk on before the wedding, like what kind of dress is going to come, bachelorette party and all those things. Suddenly, um, there was a knock on the door. And standing at the door was an officer of Amichai's two best friends, which I would never, I, I don't think I will ever forget their faces in that moment. And before the officer could even speak, I just shouted at him. I, I told him, I mean, do you know we're already a bereaved family? For myself, I was thinking there is no way my family is losing twice. I mean, we already paid the price. And I grew on knowing that, Barak is like kind of my guardian angel. Nothing is going to happen to our family anymore. But the officer stood there and he read from a document in a formal tone, like he should do. And he, he said, he says to us this following thing. He said during an, uh, a nighttime training flight uh, at 2.09 p.m., an F-16 uh, crashed into the ground and the officer made it a pilot, sorry, Major Amichai Itkis, a navigator, Major Emmanuel Levy, have been declared missing. And I remember Karen and I standing there shaking, very, very confused. I mean, also, what, if, what is it, does that mean even missing? Okay, so go and look, what are you doing here? Go and do something. And when I was able to catch my breath again, I took Amichai's uh, friend from the squadron and I asked him, what are the chances to survive this thing? But he, he even he couldn't look me in the eyes. He just lowered his head and he said none. And on that moment, again, um, life as I know was over. I don't think there's any words and people hear us and I use words, but I don't think there is any words that could express this horrible feeling of losing your second and only brother. I wish it was a nightmare. I remember like I felt that the ground is falling beneath me and there is like a big wave that is taking me far away from the known shore. But I must say that on the same time, I knew, like my father taught me back in the night of the night in 98, not to drown. I knew that um, I felt that now it's my turn to do the same. So when I went to my, when I finally met my parents on that night, I remember, uh, I remember them sitting on the couch uh, ruined by pain. And I'm running over to them and I am, the house was already full of people. Same again, a lot of, of uniform, big people wearing uniforms, family, friends, a lot of people were there. And I, my parents were sitting on the couch and, and, and I ran over to them and I sat on my knees and I told them, Abba, Ima, mom, dad, look me in the eyes. But they couldn't. And I told them, Mom, Dad, I want to tell you something. Look me in the eyes. But all they could just say over and over again was Amichai, Amichai, Amichai. And I just took my hands and raised their chins so they could look me in the eyes. And I told them, 
Abba Ima, Dad, you remember that 12 years ago, I was the one to sit on the stairs and I promised you that I'm going to choose life. So now I am going to tell you that you see the three of us. This is what is left. We're going to choose life. We're going to have a good life. But I need you to look me in the eyes now and promise me that. And I remember they were like kind of looking at me and nodding with their head. And it's a moment that I will never, ever forget. I was 23 then. And, and to this very day, I don't know from where I got the guts to ask my parents to choose life. I think it's almost on the, it's a bit even rude <laughs> on that moment to ask them to choose life. But, but it was a reminder. It was a reminder of what my dad taught us. It was a reminder of what Amichai uh, chose in his life. He chose life. He chose to fulfill his dream, to live a full life. And, and I must say, honestly, that although we are living with the pain every day and I miss my brothers so much, uh, we... We're doing the best we can to succeed, to, to choose life and to live them fully, life full of meaning and to do whatever we can to keep doing good in our country and in Israel and because I believe we have no... Israel is our home. And Li Eretz Acheret. Okay, we're going to come back to En Li Eretz Acheret. I don't have another land... Um... Right? I mean, even if the land is on, on fire. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, you mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation um, that you have a husband. And uh, I'm just sort of curious if you would tell us what your husband does. My husband, Asaf, is the love of my life. And I love him with all my heart. But he also happens to be an F-16 pilot. <laughs> I'm not sure if there's a psychologist who is listening to this podcast right now, but I'm sure Freud would have a lot to say about my decision and about my life choices. But on the same hand, I must say that this is one of the best decisions that I've ever made. He was already a pilot when you met him? He was already a pilot when I met him, and we met through uh, mutual friends. Um, my brother's best friends introduced us. I must say that at first I didn't want to date him because I knew what he was doing and I was scared. But, you know, my brother's friends are kind of like my big brother. They're like big brothers to me. And when one of them is saying, just give, give him a chance, just one date. So I couldn't say no. And eventually uh, this date ended up uh, being uh, uh, the guy that I will marry. And... And yes, and we have a daughter today uh, named Oren. And, and every time the scary thoughts come in, I kind of look up to the sky. I have a complicated relationship with God. But I pray, I pray that he will keep the ones I love safe. It's quite a story. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a story of unbelievable bravery on the part of your parents, on the part of your brothers, on your part, uh, on so many different levels. Um, so I'll ask you a hard question. Um, 
you know, you're uh, what's called a mishpacha shakula, a bereaved family. Um, shchol, by the way, is actually, there's no word in English for shchol because um, bereaved can apply to anything. Shchol only actually applies to the loss of a child, specifically the Tanakh. Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting that the Tanakh has a kind of a word specifically for the loss of a child, because we, sh we should never know what it is, um, but it's a, it's a kind of a grief that's, that's unique all unto itself. But every family is a mishpacha shakula if they've lost somebody in the army. And as horrible and as painful as your family's story is, you know this because of the world that you live in, there are thousands of other such families. And um, it becomes unbearable, uh, for me at least. And we're not a mishpacha shakula. We haven't lost anybody, thank God. Um, but when I, when I sort of walk around, the, the air on Yom Azikron, is, it's just hard to breathe. It's hard to watch TV. It's hard to listen to the radio. The radio becomes almost a kind of a liturgy. I mean, the songs that get played and the stories that get told, and it's just hard to breathe. Um, so, and yet your family was on Shlichut in Dayton. Your parents were actually kind of Zionist emissaries. Um, your brothers did what they did because obviously they wanted to be pilots, but they wanted to be Israeli pilots. They wanted to serve their country. Um, your husband, I'm sure, wants to be a pilot because he probably loves flying, uh, but he wants to be a pilot in the Israeli army. He could quit and go to an airline pilot somewhere or do whatever he wants. Um, so this is a family deeply committed to this enterprise called the Dinat Israel, the Jewish state. It, the price is so heavy. Um, is it worth it? It's a complicated question. It reminded me that I, I didn't mention that the reason why we decided to leave the States and move back to Israel was because of Barak asking my parents, saying, listen, if all, with all of these talks about like helping people, like, I don't know, trying to convince people to make Aliyah and to connect them to their Zionist value. I mean, being Zionist mean, to, for me lives, means living in Israel. And he said, told them, listen, you can do whatever you want. He was 12 years old. You, you can stay, you can come, but I'm packing my things, going on a plane and moving back to Israel. And if it's, and actually thanks to him, we are here. I mean, we, the Jewish agency, agency asked us to go on, on a, you more. It was my second. It was the second uh, mission of my parents. Before that, and my brother Michai, who was born in Mexico, they were there before the states. And if it's worth it, I, I mean, I don't think loss or losing someone worth it for anything. I mean, I think people should be healthy and live their life. But on the other hand, I mean, I don't know. It, it didn't affect, I mean, it's a complicated question, but I must say that at the same breath, it didn't affect uh, the connection of my family to this land or the love to Israel and what we keep on doing. And I think this is the complex. It's on the other end, knowing that this land took a lot from us. And it's hard not to think of what would have happened if Barak wouldn't like being so insist on moving back home or Amichai wouldn't be so uh, determined on like telling, asking my parents to, to sign the, the form and go to the Air Force. And although we lost a lot, I, 
I must say that we love this place. We are connected to this land so much. We're doing a lot of things in our society in order to keep doing Israel a better, safer and holier place uh, for everyone. Um, and to keep to do good because this is what Barak and Amichai uh, did in their short life. And as long as we live here, for me also, uh, this is part of, of, you know, continue to, to, to follow this value of, of Zionism and the love to Israel. It's really what, what kind of lights my life and what I'm trying to follow uh, with the things I choose to do. Um, well, that's beautifully said. Look, I think um, we know this all the time, but there are weeks like the week of Yom Zikaron when all of us who wake up, wherever we wake up, whether we wake up in Tel Aviv or in Farsaba or in Yerushalayim or wherever, we, we know that there's a schut, there's a privilege of waking up in the land of Israel, um, of turning on the radio and it's Hebrew and looking outside on the, you know, you get the newspaper outside your door and it's in Hebrew and the Jewish people's come back to life and the Jewish people have come back to life in a very, very different kind of a way. Uh, than it lived in Europe or than it lived in North Africa before there was a state. Um, and that coming back to life has um, has both transformed the Jews, but as you pointed out, it, it come at, it's come at a great cost. And the, uh, the possibility of families like yours, of continuing to believe in the importance of this project and the importance of this return of Jewish people back to life, even in the face of everything that you've experienced, is a profoundly, for me at least, very moving way of... Um, making Yom Karon even more intimate, more personal, more alive. And so for your taking your time, and I know it's hard, um, it's hard to listen, so it's got to be hard to speak. Um, we're just so grateful to you for being so open and so articulate, and, um, for sharing this prayer with us. And we wish you and your family only good things from now on. And uh, you and Asaf should be privileged to raise Oren and maybe many others for many, many years. Hopefully, hopefully. I, mu I must also say one thing about um, this coming to life, that also it's important to say that in Israel, the Independence Day is a day after Yom HaZikaron, which is like, for me, although it's one of the most hardest transitions from being in the lower and saddest place, it's kind of to choose choosing life and... I think it's very unique. I don't think there's any right. other place in the world that does that, any other country. And yes, I, I hope that we will uh, continue to uh, make our family uh, bigger uh, with many, many happy kids and also make my parents happy being a grandmother and a grandfather and grandparents. Well, as a grandparent, <laughs> I can tell you there's nothing better. So thank you once again for your time. Wish you guys all the best and a meaningful Yom Azikaron and a very joyous Yom Azmaut. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.